Previously, on Monster on the Beach. Um, I grew up in uh, Indy Atlantic, the heart of Indy Atlantic. Uh, I guess technically unincorporated Brevard County, across from the what was the Quality Suites um, is now the DoubleTree on off of Coconut Drive, uh, right in the middle of what we would call the Surf Ghetto. He shot me three times in the chest, and then. When I was laying there, I seen him walking over to shoot Skippy in the head, like which, trying to get up to stop him, and he shot me two more times and knocked me back down on the bed. Can you imagine a small doctor's office that is so busy that there are lines around the building and a hot dog stand out front? Nearly 10 years before my football game at the beautiful Hoover Athletic Fields was interrupted by a drug ripoff that ended in murder, a local doctor, whose father before him had been a local doctor as well, opened a new office at 1520 North Highway A1A. That's where Dr. John Matthew Gaydon set up shop. The only business there now is a psychic. The building is zoned residential and commercial, and there is enough space for two businesses and a residential space above. Dr. Gaydon spent most of his career as a general practitioner and family doctor, and by all accounts was very popular with his patients and good at what he did. There are still plenty of good reviews online left by his former patients. Many of them describe him as a great family doctor, someone who listens, is respectful, a doctor who cares. They describe him as empathetic. His office had been on Hickory Street in Melbourne, just up the road from Holmes Regional Medical Center, a hospital where he enjoyed privileges. In fact, one of the reviews I found was from a nurse who would sometimes work with him at the hospital. So you might be asking what the connection is between a drug-related murder in a sleepy beach town and this popular family doctor. Well, by 2007, Dr. John Matthew Gaydon Jr. had left family medicine and opened a pain management clinic. He was in his mid-50s at the time, and it represented by all accounts a pretty drastic change in his medical practice. But it's important to understand while we don't know why Gaydon made that switch, we do know what was happening around pain management at the time. It had become pretty big business. In the early to mid 2000s, there was suddenly a lot of money to be made in this relatively new field of medicine. Now I thought pain management had been around forever, but I did some research and according to Elaine Silvestri, a journalist with Drug Watch, between 1911 and the late 1990s, narcotics and opiates were used very sparingly, and even then only to treat post-surgery patients or those at the end of their lives. All that changed in 1995. Two things happened at that time to cause this change. Number one, that was the year that the drug OxyContin was approved by the Federal Drug Administration. Number two, it was right around this time that hospitals and doctors began to get graded by online reviewers or receive ratings on how well they reduced pain. And well, everybody wants high grades, right? The pressure was on, and now Dr. Gaydon was in the game. Now, about those positive reviews I just mentioned, well, those aren't the only ones on there. There are also a high number of really bad reviews of the doctor. And in fact, it's probably split right down the middle. The negative reviews focused on Gaydon's attitude, or his lack of empathy or compassion. 
The noteworthy thing is that these bad reviews all came after his shift to the pain management side of medicine. It's pretty clear from reading those reviews that many of Dr. Gaydon's patients believed something happened in Gaydon's personal life, a turning point that caused a massive personality change. How else can you explain how the doctor went from caring and patient to unreasonable, according to the reviews? And we'll get more into that later. But here is John Gaydon's former defense attorney, Bryn Brito, defending her former client. Right. So he sort of kind of left that, that practice of medicine that he had and began with pain management, which is not a, an unadmirable, that's not a, an unadmirable practice, you know? Sure. Um, people do need pain management. She's right. Many people do live in pain and do, in fact, need pain management. I suffer with a bad back, and there have been times when I've needed medication to help me get through some rather painful episodes. But it soon became apparent that Dr. Gaydon's clinic, Indiolantic Internal Medicine, was operating a little oddly, to put it mildly. Shortly after he opened, a Melbourne teenager by the name of Corianne Lundstrom started going to see Dr. Gaydon. She went to him at her boyfriend's recommendation. Here she is talking to detectives later. What made you go to Dr. Gaydon? You talk about Dr. John Gaydon? Yes. Uh, I just, I started doing them, and my boyfriend at the time... Started doing what? I started doing blues. Or what what hobbies? Yeah, and he didn't want to support my habits, so he told me to go to Gaydon. Okay, so he told you to go get your own? Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, he told me how. I, well, I didn't even know what they were when I started doing them, so it was all very new to me at the beginning. Corianne, pretty with shoulder-length hair, had suffered a knee injury when she was 10 years old while cheerleading. She still had her old MRI and brought it with her to see Dr. Gaydon. An MRI, mind you, that was 8 years old and which showed no structural damage to her knee. In fact, her knee felt better a few days after the injury and it had not bothered her in years but she figured that would be the easiest way to get the pills she wanted. Um, at the time you went to see the doctor, did, was your knee bothering you? No. So it wasn't, I mean, you didn't have a legitimate injury, but you went there knowing? I went there knowing, yes. Okay. What were you told about Gaydon and dealing with prescriptions? I mean, what was the purpose to go there? To get the oxys. I didn't really know anything about him at that point because I had just started doing them and I was, I mean, straight out of high school, I didn't know anything. I, this is the, the first drug that I ever tried, besides marijuana, right. you know. How were you doing them? Starting them. How many a day? When I went to Gaydon, I would do 10 a day, 8 a day. 10, 30s a day? Mm-hmm. Dr. John Gaydon wrote her a prescription for 120 hydrocodones and told her to come back in two weeks if she needed more or something stronger. She did, and started getting prescriptions for 120 30-milligram oxycodones every two weeks. How long would you guess your first exam was from start to finish with the doctor? Five minutes. Five minutes. Obviously, you've seen doctors, other doctors besides him. Right, and they've taken my blood pressure, and, I mean, they didn't do any of that. No vitals? No, no vitals, no blood pressure. What, from, from previous experiences with other doctors, what didn't he do that you expected him to do? Um, take my blood pressure, review a little bit with me, I think, and ask me questions. Were you surprised how easy it was 
Oh yeah, I was. Cause you were probably were you prepared to? I put had it no up? idea what I was going into. Okay, so you went that first time, and then you said, did they when before you left? Did they schedule another appointment? No, they just said come back in two weeks if it's not enough. So, I could have made the fifteen or the hundred and twenty fifteens last for a month if if they if I did, but. He pretty much gave you the option to come back in two weeks or come back in a month. So what did you do? I went back in two weeks. Now, here's the thing. When Corianne went to see Dr. Gaydon, there was never a physical examination. There was never any therapy ordered for her supposedly bad knee. There were no exercises mentioned or any remedy on how to fix her knee. Just pills and pills. And according to federal prosecutor Dana Hill, who used to work for the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, what Gaydon was doing, or rather what he was not doing, raises a major red flag. There's a lot of things that are referred to as sort of red flags of a doctor who's outside, uh, operating outside the usual course of professional practice. They'll be giving, you know, little to no examination of the patients. You'll be starting on, you know, the, the minute somebody walks in, start on opioids. Um, there's no sort of non-pharmacological treatment along with it. You know, normally um, you, you might see something going to physical therapy or to see something else for pain, something that's non-opioids first, for example, be a sign of real medicine. Um, you'll also see, you know, urine tests or other drug tests that are ignored. Essentially, uh, you know, the big three things that, that come into play is doctors really should be doing, which is they should be looking at prior medical records to actually diagnose the, um, the ailment involved. And then um, trying things that are not opioids, making, doing everything they can without opioids. So, at least according to Corianne Lundstrom, who on these tapes appears to be cooperating with police, Gaydon is not exactly following typical medical protocol in treating her so-called injury. And soon word gets out. Dr. Gaydon won't hassle you much or make you go to a physical therapist for your injuries. He'll just give you painkillers. Corianne told police that Gaydon accepted her United Healthcare insurance for a few months, but then switched to a cash-only operation. That's when she told him she needed more than 150 pills and would get prescriptions for 300 at a time. Let me say that again so it sinks in. 300 30 milligram oxycodones. To put that in perspective, the last time that my back was giving me fits, my primary care doctor prescribed me nine 5 milligram hydrocodones. To put this in even more perspective, I spoke with Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey, who was with FDLE the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, when Gaydon appeared on their radar. Here's what he had to say. You go back to Gaydon. Um, I was with FDLE back then. And when I first heard about Dr. Gaydon, the first two things I remember hearing about him from our agents that were working him was, one, he is so busy at his office that he has a hot dog stand in the parking lot. And I thought that was, you know, just being made up. It wasn't. It was, it was real. The second thing was that he had single-handedly prescribed more oxy than all the doctors collectively in the state of California. And so when you look at the dynamics of that in, in a small area like we have, I mean, yes, we're, we're a major you know, part of the state of Florida, but when you take and look at that, just that one area, you would, you would go to his office and, and on surveillance, and you would see 
just people lined up. They looked like they were were waiting to to get food. They would have their MRIs and their X-rays under their arm, and they would be walking in the door, line step and step, line in line. And you know, you think about how many people he impacted. Whoa! Catch that. Sheriff Ivey said that Gaiden prescribed more opiates than the entire state of California. He also mentioned a hot dog stand. But I want to focus for a minute on his other statement about seeing people lined up. Like I've said, I live in the area, and I noticed that people lined up every morning when I was driving my kids to school. I never slowed down to take a real close look, but I could tell that these people seemed a little rough or just down on their luck. I always assumed it was some sort of day labor employment office and that the people in line were looking to make an honest buck. Good on them, I thought. I couldn't have been more wrong. I asked some local people about when they first thinking something was going on. Here's Carrie Martin. When I started seeing large numbers of people hanging out in the parking lot of that building and started seeing a lot of really sketchy people in the parking lot of the Sunoco, and stopped taking my kids to the Sunoco to go get treats and snacks because there was always really scary people there. Then we started seeing a lot of helicopters, a lot of sheriff's helicopters flying really low around the neighborhood and started seeing a lot more homeless people or homeless looking people sleeping on the bike path, which was super scary because we would I would, my kids were really little then, and I would walk them on the bike path and their strollers and tricycles on a very regular basis, so we had to stop doing that. Um, then when the hot dog man set up his <laughs> um, little stand in the parking lot, it was the strangest thing. And Mark Lewis. The ironic thing to me that was crazy was later on, when that pill mill really started kicking butt, I should say, because there was so much clientele they had a they had a freaking hot dog stand in the parking lot selling people hot dogs waiting waiting to get their pills i was like are you kidding me and fdle agent jason kriegsman well the first thing is he had a hot dog cart in his parking lot that um people would be lined up uh at that hot dog cart let that sink in for a second there aren't any other stores there this isn't a hospital or a school or a park There's no train station or Greyhound bus stop. There's no big business nearby. This was a small building with one doctor inside of it. Yet there was enough business for a man to set up his hot dog stand. It's actually kind of mind-boggling when you really think about it. The hot dog man is only serving people going to the doctor. So back to Corianne, the Melbourne teenager, for a moment. Corianne would start showing up with $200 at first, but then it became $300. She would see the doctor for five minutes, if that, and walk out with her script. It was that easy. I just walked in and he asked me how it was going. I said that I was still in pain and I took, I was out already. So he doubled the prescription and told me to come back in two weeks. So he gave me 120 30s and told me to come back in two weeks. Did he give you any other prescriptions other than the no, oxycodone? I only the ever visit? got oxycodone from him. In that visit, when he asked you about the pain, did he? Did you fill out any paperwork for like your chart? You know, one they got the little smiley face, and ten they got the frowny face. Yeah. One through ten, did he ever ask you on a scale of one to ten, could you rate your pain? Um, 
Yeah, I think he did ask. And I would say seven, eight. Right. But... Did he look, did he suggest any alternative treatments or physical therapy or any other thing than taking 30 milligram oxycodone? No. So no other, it was basically, he just, so the second visit, I'm sorry, he gave you 30 milligram, how many count? He gave me, on the second time he gave me uh, 30 milligrams, 120 of them. Did he give you 15s too? No. Any Xanax? No. All I ever got was from it was oxycodone. And you saw him every two weeks after that? Yep. And then um, about, uh, I would say a month later, uh, he got up to 300. So she's getting 300 pills a month now. If you've ever hurt your back or had surgery, you'd be lucky to get 9 to 12 pills prescribed for something serious. She's getting 300. Now look, not everybody who went to see Gaydon was like Corianne, looking for an easy fix. And many people go to pain management for real injuries. And unfortunately, pharmaceutical companies misled doctors initially when touting their pills. Actually, they misled just about everyone. In November 2020, Purdue Pharma pleaded guilty in federal court to three felonies. The company admitted marketing and selling opioid products to healthcare providers, even though it had reason to believe those healthcare providers were diverting the pills to abusers. And even worse, Purdue admitted to paying kickbacks to providers to encourage them to keep prescribing the opiates. Like I said earlier, I did some research on the early days of pain management, and many experts trace our country's opiate problem to a single marketing campaign that began misusing a doctor's letter that claimed only 1% of users became addictive. That became the well-worn rallying cry for those pushing doctors to prescribe opiates. Now, Experts now say the real number is not 1%, but it's closer to 40%. And the doctor has long said that his letter was taken out of context. He said he was speaking about short-term use in very limited dosages when he wrote that. I spoke at length with Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey, and he agreed with many other law enforcement officers I've spoken with that no drug in the past has been tougher to deal with than opiates. And you've seen this kind of ebb and flow of, of the drug industry, the drug trade, if you will. Uh, when, when crack cocaine hit, John, uh, I, I can tell you, I was working uh, undercover narcotics at the time, uh, and we would, we would literally sit and say, this is the worst thing we've ever seen. You would see the, the devastation it had on people, people that, that had, up until that point, that first time they, they smoked that first rock, they were hardworking, go to work every day, go to school, whatever it was, they were that level of person. And then it just had its devastating effect on them. And so we would, we would go into a house or, you know, where we were doing a search warrant or just even sitting in the, in the uh, narcotics um, uh, headquarters there. And we would, we would talk about, this is the worst thing we've ever seen, you know. Um, sadly, we were wrong because uh, we've now come into a time where for the past five years, heroin and opioid um, abuse is the worst thing we've ever seen. There are so many cautionary tales. No one wants to be an addict, right? People get injured, it hurts, it's painful, and they want relief. Remember season four and Jeff Abramowski? He was a doting father of two who got into a car accident while driving his kids to school. He was seriously injured, and before he knew it, he was hooked on painkillers. He met up with an elderly man by the name of Courtney Crandall who would pay for Jeff's doctor visits and prescriptions. In return, Jeff would get to keep some of the pills. 
Today, Jeff is serving a life sentence for the murder of Crandall, who surrounded himself with junkies. I believe Jeff to be innocent, but I think it's fair to say that he would never have gotten himself into this situation had it not been for pill mill doctors who prescribed whatever he wanted. But before moving forward with our story, we need to go back. In order to try and make sense of what happened to Dr. Gayden and the legacy of violence and shame that mars his name, we need to dig deep and find out who he really is. How did he go from being a well-respected doctor to someone who dispatched pills without even a cursory examination, to someone who fed addiction? Next time on Murder on the Space Coast. He had been through a lot of tragedy in his life. I don't know if you know all the backstory. Just talking to folks and, and almost rubbed in our faces a little bit as to there's nothing you can do about this because we're getting that. And, and every time it was John Gaden's name on these prescriptions. That's it for now. I'm opinion editor John A. Torres. And you can follow me on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast on at 321Murder. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Monster on the Beach, a Murder on the Space Coast podcast brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.